name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me read 2 Peter chapter 1 as we begin here today. Verses 1 through 2 of 2 Peter chapter 1 are kind of introductory remarks. But in verse 3, Peter says this. He says, His divine, God's divine power, has given to us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these, He, that is God, has given us every or very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. A young boy was asked how old he was, and this is what he said. He said, quick as a flash, I'm 12 years old, going on 13, soon to be 14. I'd say that little boy was uh, very anxious in growing up. And you know, most Christians that I know, especially when they begin, they're anxious to grow up in the Lord. They're anxious to become mature Christians. But I've also noted this, and you may have noted it as well. As time goes on, that enthusiasm to grow tends to wane. And unfortunately, we become settled. And we become settled in this routine that we live. And uh, one of the things that pays the price of that settled routine, I think anyway, is spiritual growth, being like Jesus. We sort of become complacent in this following after, after Jesus. That's at the end, Billy. That becomes complacent. I mean, uh, we become complacent in that. It's kind of like the old farmer. I've told this story before about when, whenever he shared his Christian testimony, this is what he said. He said, well, I'm not making much progress, but I'm well established. Well, one day uh, another farmer was riding by and that farmer had gotten stuck in the mud up to his axles carrying a bunch of logs. And he was sitting there uh, kind of depressed over it. And his neighbor, as he went by, he said, uh, hey, Brother Jones, I see uh, you're not making much progress, but you must be content because you're well established. <laughs> And he was trying to make a point to that guy that, you know, being, being, not making progress is a problem, you know. We can't just kind of say, well, I'm just well established and not make progress. And so as we began this church year, I wanted to challenge that complacency in your life and in mine. I wanted to challenge it and I wanted to ask you and me to kind of reevaluate and say, where am I in my spiritual discipleship? Am I following Jesus like I need to be? And, and one of the hopes that I had, somebody had asked me what the hope of this series has been. Well, the hope was that you and I would walk away from these eight messages or so, however many it's been, that we'd walk away from this and we'd say, God, I really want to be a growing Christian. I really want to be a disciple 
like you want me to be. And uh, so what we talked about, if you'll remember, has been a framework for discipleship from Colossians chapter 1. And, uh, and I tried to steer away from just giving you a list. I'm going to have a list today, but, uh, but I steered away and still want to steer away from just giving you a list of things to do. And this is what it means to be a disciple. And we tried to construct a framework of discipleship. What is, if I am a disciple of Jesus, what does that look like? And we talked about how part of that framework would be our motivation. Why do you follow Jesus? And then we talked about obedience and being faithful in obedience. We talked about wisdom and growing in wisdom. We talked about maturity, developing maturity in every area of my life. We talked about the spiritual disciplines, and there is a great list of spiritual disciplines. And then finally, last week, it was, it was de being dependent on the Lord to energize our Christian life. So today I want to end that series on discipleship, and uh, I want to end it by challenging you to this end, to leave no doubt in your following after Jesus, to leave no doubt in your discipleship. I remember when I became first conscious, <clears throat> or I first consciously remember hearing that statement that stuck with me, and it was when the, when the movie, uh, Remember the Titans, came out. And uh, in the middle of that movie, you know, the Titans, they're better than most teams. And this one team, the, this, they were just making fun of the Titans. And anyway, the Titans had kind of nailed, uh, nailed them or they'd nailed the Titans. I can't remember which. But anyway, the team comes in and Coach Yost gathers the defense around him. And this is what he says to them. He says, all right, now, <clears throat> I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night long. If they cross the line of scrimmage, I'll take every last one of you out. You make sure they remember forever the night they played the Titans. And everybody cheers. And he says, leave no doubt. And here's what he means. He means leave no doubt that we are the best team out here. Now, the second time I remember that consciously sticking with me was not too awfully long ago, and it was when Shep died. And uh, you'll remember that after y'all were concerned about Anne, and, and she gave a testimony. And, and the one thing that I remember from that testimony, well, I remember several things, but one thing that really stuck out to me, she challenged all of us to leave no doubt in your Christian discipleship, your following after Jesus. So when you die, there's absolutely no doubt who you belong to, no doubt who you followed. No doubt, okay? And that, that, was her, that was her point. Now, believe it or not, I believe that's the same point that Peter makes in the text that I just read you. At the very end of that text in verse 10, or towards the end of that text in verse 10, Peter says this. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you'll never stumble. Now, it's not the same words, but I think it's definitely the same thought. Leave no doubt about whether you belong to Jesus, leave no doubt of whether you have been one of his, you are one of his followers, one of his saints, uh, to use David's words in our, in our welcome. So having looked at that passage, I want to give you what I believe are three, three reasons why Peter would say to us at the end of these verses, leave no doubt. I want to give you three verses why he says leave no, three reasons why he says leave no doubt. Here's the first one. Because God has given you everything you need to be that growing disciple. Leave no doubt because you are not, you are not incapable. You are not equipped, not, not equipped 
to be the disciple that God wants you to be. Look at, specifically, Peter says God's given you the power to accomplish everything that God wants you to accomplish as a disciple and be the disciple God wants you to be. Verse 3, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything that's required for you to be the disciple that God wants you to be has been supplied to us. And it's been supplied to everyone who's come to know him, come to know Jesus. If you've come to know Jesus, then God has given you the power to be everything God wants you to be. The power to be the disciple that Jesus to be like Jesus in my discipleship, it's not just for a few of us. It's not just for the extroverts. It's not just for the people that are willing to, to have an upfront ministry or who have been given an upfront ministry. It's not it's for every single one of you. All of us have the power to be all that God wants us to be because we've come to know Jesus. It just comes with the territory. You follow him, he gives you what you need. And, and notice this, he gives it to us out of his goodness and out of his own glory. I'll come back to that in a few minutes, but this is reminiscent of last week's message. If you were here last week, you'll remember that we talked about how the Spirit of God has been given to all of us to empower us to live this Christian life. And that's exactly what Peter's saying. God has supplied you all the power you need to live uh, that Christian life. And we talked about living in independence uh, on prayer. You know, I thought of the story, I've, I've told it numerous times, but maybe there's somebody here who hasn't heard it about the, the city slicker who, who moves out to the country, he's got a bunch of trees to cut down, and he goes to his local store to get a saw, and the guy says, here's a saw, it's guaranteed to cut down 100 trees a day. At the end of the day, he comes back, and I mean, he's, he's beat, man, he's just absolutely worn out, he's cut all over, his clothes are ripped, he says, I want my money back. This, this saw only cuts down one tree, I could only cut down one tree. The guy says, really, what in the world? He goes over there, gets the chainsaw, cranks it up, the city singer jumps back and says, what's that noise? <laughs> Some of you are living your Christian life with a lifeless chainsaw. Seriously, think about it for just a second. Can you imagine cutting down a tree with a chainsaw that's turned off? You imagine how hard that is? But yet when the chainsaw's powered up, man, you've got power to cut 100 trees down. But yet that's how we live our Christian life so often, like, a, with, like with a dead chainsaw in our life. Here's what Peter says. You've been given a powerful chainsaw, following on with that metaphor. You, you've been given this powerful chainsaw to live your Christian life, and it comes with knowing him. I mean, I already said this, but it's, it's worth repeating. If you belong to him, you've been given the power to live that Christian life that God wants. He's given you his spirit. He's enabled you. He's equipped you to live it. We're without excuse. And why did he give it to you? Look at the text. He gave it to you because God is glorious. And, and, and I, I think the glory of God there is really tied to his goodness. And so, you know, he, he's given that to you because God is good. God is good, everyone. We've got to hold on to that. God is for you. And God is with you. And, and I don't mean that means that everything goes well, right, Dave and Karen? It doesn't always go well. Uh, it's, life's not always pleasant or peachy or perfect. In fact, it, it can be often really, really hard. This week I got a call from a pastor buddy of mine, and he said, hey, I need your help. He said, a 21-year-old son of a family in our church has, uh, he, he was senior in college, went camping with some folks. Evidently they're out in, I don't know, they're out somewhere where it's cold, but he got separated from, uh, from the rest of the group, couldn't find his way back and died of hypothermia, 21 years old. And he said, they've asked me to do the, asked me to do the funeral. 
What I do mean is that when you're living your, your worst life ever, and your hardest life ever, <clears throat> or your saddest life ever, God is right there. And God is going to sustain you. And God is going to soothe your broken heart. God is going to sustain us with his promises. And that's the second reason I believe Peter gives us by which you and I should, should just uh, want to leave no doubt in our following after Jesus. Because he says he has given us some very wonderful, perfect, and precious promises. Look at verse 4. By these he has given us very great and precious promises. I, I, I read the ESV first because I couldn't get my CSB to pull up. So uh, I read from the ESV. And it says, uh, it said something other than great, I think, but great and precious promises, so that through them we may share in the, in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that's in the world because of evil desire. By God's goodness and by God's glory, by these things that he's given us, right? Or by, by these he has given us, I'm sorry, by his glory and his goodness, he's given us these great promises that, uh, that see us through, that help us help us know that we have this divine nature within us and also help us um, overcome just the, the, the pull of our old nature and the pull of the world that seems to go contrary to what God desires. So we've got these precious promises. Now, Peter doesn't tell us what they are. And I mean, I could sit here for the next month <clears throat> or months of preaching and just, you know, let's just, just, just look at the promises of God one after the other, right? But I did feel, I want to give you two promises this morning that I think Peter would have had in mind. Doesn't give us any, doesn't tell us what they are, but here's two promises. Here's the first one that I'd like you to, it's a perfect and a precious promise, and it's this, that, it, that you in Jesus are, you in the Lord Jesus, you're a new person. You're, you're a new creature. You're, you're, something has happened in you that's made you new. Here's, here's Paul, not Peter, but here's Paul talking in, in his letter to the church at Corinth, the second one, chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. I, I think that's just got to be one of the greatest promises for all of us. Man, when you're in Jesus, there's something, something has happened in you, and you are new. You've got a fresh start you got a fresh start. The record of your sin has been washed away. In fact, I would suggest you've been rebirthed. You've been given a new birth. In fact, you know where that comes from, don't you? Jesus gave us that. When he's talking to Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. We don't know exactly what it means to be born again. It's a little bit cryptic. They're born of the Spirit. What does he mean? But, but I think it carries the idea that Paul captures in that letter that you're a new creature. There, there's something new about you. Something has transpired in your life, and, and, and you're new. <clears throat> now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that God saps you, and so now I'm new, and everything, uh, everything is just, hey, I'm just absolutely new. No, it doesn't really work like that. I am a new person. I am a new creature. But at the same time, I've got to put off the old and put on the new. And so here's what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. He said, but that is, that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and have taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the old, the, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. So Paul says, look, there's an old self you got to take off and there's a new one you got to put. You're new. 
But at the same time, you've got you to take off the old and put on the new. I mean, and that's not easy. Here's Paul to the church at Colossae. He says, therefore, put to death that belongs, what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. But now put all that away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Put on the new self. So I mean, again, I, I want to be clear. Here's the precious promise of God. You're a new person in Christ. But yet at the same time, you've got to walk by the Spirit and put to death the old dude and, and just and let, the, and let the new life shine forth in you. It's kind of like last week. Again, last week, remember? Uh, Paul said we need to work out our salvation with fear and trouble. It's the same kind of idea. God's made you new. Work it out. Now, here's the second promise that I want to share with you. Again, this, these, are just, these are promises that Jimmy just picked up off the shelf that mean a lot to me. And I think Peter would have had these in mind with many, many others. But, but here's the second one I give you, that uh, God has given you whatever you need to fight temptation. God's given you whatever you need to, to not give in to temptation. Here's the verse. It's from, again, Paul's letter to, to the church at Corinth, but his first one. He says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he'll provide a way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Man, what a precious promise that God's equipped you, God's enabled you, so that you don't have to sin. You, you can choose not to sin. Not because you are able, but because he is able. He, he has equipped you. He's made it possible for you not to sin. Now, let's be honest. We all continue to sin, but it's really not because we're not able. It's because we're, we're making choices according to that old self and not the new self that God has put in us. Um, these are two great precious promises. And, and he says, you know, if we partake of those, by partaking of those promises, we partake of, of God's nature. Now, again, just like my first, just like the first promise that I gave you, I'm not trying to say it's easy to defeat sin. It's not necessarily really, really easy. Now, you know, I've been cutting a lot of wood this winter. I'm excited to tell you. I've probably told you a hundred times already, but I'm excited to tell you that next winter I got wood and we're not going to have to skimp anymore. We can just, we can light that fire and set that booger on fire and just burn all the time. I'm excited about next winter. Uh, almost wish you'd get here, but no, I don't want to wish my life away, but man, I'm ready. I'm ready. So I've been stacking wood and I made this little place in my carport for the wood. Keep it dry. And uh, when, I, when I built it, I built a wall on the right side to hold the wood up, you know. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, that'll hold. The friction on the ground will hold. It'll, it'll, it'll stay. And I stacked up three rows this tall. And one morning I went out there and my wall had given way. And my pile was leaning. And now I knew to fix it, I had to take my piles down to fix it, right? Because I hadn't anchored the bottom down. Now, here's my point. You know, it's, it, temptation's like that. I mean, if I had fixed it to start with and done it right to start with, my wall would have held, but I didn't because I thought it was good enough. And I think a lot of times in our spiritual life, we think that we can, you know, temptation, we don't have to do anything to fight temptation. We've got this under control. And I don't know if my illustration's good or not, but you know what? You know, sometimes we need to do more than what we're doing to fight temptation, 
We need to anchor it because if we don't, we're going to give in and we're going to cave in and we're going to, we're going to fall short. So I'm not trying to, when I say that, when God says to us, no temptation's overtaken you, but such is common to all of us, and God is faithful, he'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. That doesn't mean that you don't need to take precautions and anchor the wall down before, before the pressure gets too great. I'm not going to try to define that for you, but hopefully you're following me. That brings us to reason number three, the last reason why I think Peter would say to you and me, listen, let's just make sure, I mean, not make sure, let's, um, let's leave no doubt. Let's make it sure, the confirmation is sure that we belong to Jesus in our life. And, and he says, the reason why you should do this, because God has given you this and I'm going to call it a progression of qualities. And I don't know that it is a progression. Maybe it's just a list of qualities uh, that we are to make clear are in our relationship with Jesus. And uh, so here, here's the progression again. For this, is, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So uh, for what reason should we make that uh, progression? He says because God's given us the power and the promises to do that. So we should make clear these things in our life. Now, let's look at the progression or let's look at the list. It starts with faith. And, and here again, we always need to start here. I don't care what you do. You're not going to please God unless you start there. I mean, it's not the religious things you do. It's not that you're here this morning or you're on live stream or whatever. It's, it's that you have put your faith in Jesus. It's that you have been willing to trust the revelation of God, that God sent his son to die for us. That apart from Jesus, there is no righteousness. There is no right with God. And, and so it all begins with faith. But without faith, we can't please God. So we begin there with faith. Peter presupposes that, but then look what he says, to our faith, <clears throat> excuse me, add virtue, moral excellence. That's what, that's what that means when it says virtue. It's talking about living a life of obedience to God and his morality. And, and so to our faith, we must add obedience to Jesus. Now, if we look at the framework analogy that we've been looking at all these weeks, this would be the, the one about obedience, Peter, this would cor correlate with Paul's obedience. This would be, I think, Peter's obedience. We should stop lying and stop cheating and stop stealing and stop cursing and stop lusting and on and on and on the list goes. Why? Be because we're to add that to our faith. And then to our obedience or our goodness, our moral vir virtue, moral excellence, he says add knowledge. And again, in our framework, I would say this would be the wisdom piece that we talked about. Learning the word of God, getting to know what God has revealed and understanding God's truth. We need to grow in that. I think Peter, this would correlate with Paul under wisdom. The next one would be self-control. And, and again, in, in our framework from the past weeks, this would correlate with, I think, the spiritual discipline. Remember, one of the spiritual disciplines was um, one of the spiritual disciplines was uh, self-control, and and so we're to we're to grow in self. He says, add to your biblical understanding self-control, and and that means learning to that means learning to control myself. And we're not talking about necessarily just uh, our. We are talking about not living by our emotions and not living by our our old desires. You know, we have old desires that are contrary to God. Every one of you have them. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus, I don't care how much you love Jesus, you still have desires that are contrary to his. And you have to fight them. Now, I believe that the more I grow in Christ, the stronger I become in Christ, the less those desires are. 
but, but we still fight those. And so self, add, add to your knowledge of God and knowledge of God's word. Add self-control. You know, uh, and again, so far, all three of these things correlate to the things that we've saw, talked about from Paul from Colossians. Then he says endurance. Endurance would be the next one. I, I, I put patience down. I must have been reading out of a different translation. But it's, it's, it's patience and endurance. It's not talking about patience with, with difficult people, although we need that too, right? It's talking about patience and endurance when life gets difficult, enduring and pressing on. One commentator said that, that both of these are related to discipline, self-discipline. Discipline with pleasures in your life, that's self-control. Discipline with pressures in your life, that would be patience or endurance. The idea is that add to, add to your self-control this endurance in your Christian life so that when it really gets tough and really gets difficult and you don't really want to press on, you press on anyway. You know, and, and this is where the promises of God comes in, guys, because, and, and let me say it, and I'm going to say it unabashedly for as long as I, I get to live. Man, the Christian life isn't about it always being wonderful for you. Because following Jesus is, is often really, really hard, and it hurts. And a lot of times don't, things don't go well in your life, and it's really, 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 really hard. Even this week, we, we had a situation where someone we love, a little child that we believe is not safe, and we cried out to God, and we cried out to God, and we, and I mean, with tears, begged God to keep this little one safe, and uh, man, it didn't turn out the way we wanted it. It didn't turn out like we thought was best. And so here's, here's where we endure. Here's where we endure. We, we, we believe that God is with us. We believe that God loves us by faith. We believe that God cares. And we believe that God's going to walk through that valley with us all the time. So endurance, endurance says, God, I don't care how difficult it is. I'm still going to love you. And I'm still going to follow you. And I'm still going to trust you. But, I, you know, I don't know if that's really what Peter meant by endurance. You know, I mean, I think he's talking about that. But here's another way that he could be talking about endurance. I was walking this week and praying, trying to practice what I encouraged you guys to do last week. And I'm on my walk, and I'm praying, and I'm talking to God about this passage. I'm just walking my way through it with him, you know. And, and I feel like God says to me, and again, you know, it's so subjective. But, you know, endurance could be, Jimmy, enduring to the end just in faithfulness to me. I mean, and you know, the whole point of this series, the whole point of this series has been that you and I would not grow complacent. That's, that's been the point, to challenge you out of your complacency. Maybe the endurance that we need to add to it is to, to not, become, not become complacent, but to really just press on following Jesus, loving Jesus. And I don't care how old you are, I don't care how feeble you might be, there's still stuff for us to do in following Jesus, serving him, loving him, prioritizing him in our life. Maybe that's what he means by, by endurance, not becoming lazy. The next one is godliness to your endurance. Add godliness. And a, a literal translation of that word is worship well. So here's what Peter says. Add to all these things that I've just said. Make sure you add to that worshiping well. And, and, you know, I'm really glad you're here this morning. I really am. It's good to see. It's good to see you on live stream. Don't see, but I know you're out there. We're glad you're there. But you know what, everyone? Worship's not supposed to be just a Sunday morning thing. Man, loving Jesus and prioritizing him and engaging with him is an everyday event. 
I mean, it is following him every single day. And I believe that's what Peter says. Add to your endurance, engaging and loving and following Jesus every day of your life. I think that dovetails with last week's message. And then final, the final two I'm going to treat is one, brotherly affection and sacrificial love. And here's what he says. He says, you know what? Add to your, all these other things, add loving one another. I tell you what, if Bacon's Castle as a family could be known for one thing, what would you want it to be? And I don't know if we could narrow it down to one, but one of the things that would be high on my list would be that we would care for each other. We would love one another. I mean, the people would talk about us and they would say, well, you know, those people, they got all these other issues, but one thing I'll say about them, they really care for each other. They really love one another. They don't, they don't leave anybody behind. I mean, they're really there for one another. They're providing for each other's needs. I mean, they're, they're, they love one another down there. That's the one thing I'd really like people to say about us. John the Apostle said, how can we... ...around us. <laughs> That's easy. Here's a guy from years ago. He said, to live above with saints we love, oh, that would be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. And, uh, and that's true, isn't it? Because some of you are difficult. <laughs> so here's my point. Strive for it anyway, everyone. As difficult it is to love me, strive to love me. Strive to work with me. Strive to care for me. And I'll do the same for you. And you do it for one another as well. That's, that's what he says, add brotherly love to that. And then, then he, he, right on the heels of that, he says, uh, and love one another, the word there is agape. And so this would be, uh, they, they, to, to translate it differently, they translated brotherly affection, but it's really brotherly love. And then it's love. Well, the words are different. That last word is the word agape. That's the kind of unrequited love that God has for his creation and for us. That's the kind of sacrificial love where the Bible says Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us and die for us. It's the kind of love where I love my enemies and I love people who are on the other side of the political divide from me. And I love people that maybe you know, have a different perspective on this, that, or the other from me. I love them. And what does that mean? That means I treat them with kindness. That means I treat them, I treat them with people, as people with dignity. It means I treat them not as my enemy, but I treat them as, as someone that I love to have a conversation with and get to influence. So that's what he says. Put on these things. You know, this is the, I don't, I don't know if this is a progression or not. What do you think? He says to this, add this, to this, to add this. It could be a progression. But maybe it's just a list of things that you and I are to be adding to our life all the time. I tend to kind of go there. I don't know that they build on one another. Just add these things to your life. Leave no doubt. Peter says, leave no doubt because these things God is expecting of you and he's provided for you so that you can live these things out in your life. Now look at what he says. Let's go on. I'm almost done, so hang in there with me. Two reasons why these, by this progression should be mine. He says, or these, this list should be mine. He says, first, as I grow in them, they will keep me from being fruitless and useless. I don't know about you. Do you want to be fruitless in your Christian life? Do you want to be useless? Seriously, guys, think about it for a second. Those of you who follow Jesus and really love Jesus, do you want to live your life in uselessness? So that when you meet the Lord, I mean, he said, man, Jimmy, your life was useless. 
I mean, that's what he says right here. He says, hey, grow in these things so that you are not fruitless and useless. Look at the verse, verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing matter, measure, excuse me, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus. In other words, if you know Jesus and these things are growing in your life, this is why you should make certain they are. Because if they are not, he says, you're, you're useless and unfruitful. I mean, that's what he says, not what I say. Um, and then the second thing, I, I just realized this morning when I was practicing this, that there's two negatives here. They both say the same thing. Second, if, if they aren't increasing in you, you're blind and short-sighted. You forget what God has done in your life. Verse 9. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Those terms are metaphorical. You can have 20-20 vision here this morning, be young, need no glasses, and you can be spiritually short-sighted and even blind, you see. So uh, he says, you know, when these things are in your life and you're growing, then you're not blind. You're not short-sighted. You're just the opposite. You can see if these things are growing in your life. If you are fruitful and you are useful to the kingdom. Again, I just tell you, man, I want my life to count. And I don't want my life to count because I'm a pastor. And I struggle with this um, mentally, you know, in my heart with God. You know, God, I want my life to count because I just follow Jesus, not because I have a position of pastor. And, you know, I say that, and, and some of you will remember this when I came here. Man, I'd, I'd get here bright and early in the morning so I could have my quiet time here because I expected that of you. I wanted you, Richard Cram, to have your quiet time before you went off to Dominion, Right. And I thought, well, you know, if I want Richard to do that, then I need to do it. Because, not because I'm a pastor, because I'm a Christian, I want my life to count. Don't you want your life to count? Then he says, hey, your life will, will make a difference if these things are, are happening in your life and they're increasing in measure. They're, it's not just that you do them, but they're growing and they're increasing in your life. So why should you leave no doubt? Because it proves you're, un, you're fruitful and you're useful to the Lord. That brings us to Peter's admonition, verse 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, after all the things that we've just talked about this morning, therefore, he says, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. I'm just going to take calling and election and tell you, he's basically saying, make sure to confirm the fact that you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Make sure to confirm that. Peter says, leave no doubt. God has given you everything you need. All the power you need because he's given you your, his spirit. He gives it to everyone who believes in Jesus. And he's giving you these awesome promises, precious, powerful promises in our life that you can be this growing Christian. To your faith, you can add goodness and to goodness, wisdom, to wisdom, self-control, self-control, endurance, godliness, love, brotherly affection, and agape love. Now, two things will be true if you do these things. And here's the positive of the things I just gave you that were negative. Here are the two things that are positive. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because, look at the text, because if you do these things, you will never stumble and you won't fall away. You won't trip up everyone. Now, is this an absolute or is this a principle? This is a principle. Most everything in the scripture is a principle and not necessarily an absolute. Um, absolutes would mean that we have no will of our own, which I believe we do. So this is not an absolute, but this is a principle. If you're growing in these things, if, you, if you're understanding why you should leave no doubt and you're therefore living to leave no doubt, he says you're not going to fall away. 
You're going to press on to the end. I tell you, in this day and age, haven't you noticed it? Haven't you noticed that everyone, that all these, all these Christians, these, these, these upfront Christians that we respect and love, they're falling all around us. And I don't just mean falling sinfully. Uh, you know, all of us, all of us fall sinfully. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about they fall away from the faith. They're not following Jesus anymore. They're not loving Jesus anymore. I mean, they've given up. And I have no idea whether they're the exception or, di- or they're just proving the principle to be true. But you should leave no doubt. And part of that leaving no doubt is you should be investing in this list, this progression that Peter gives us that Paul has talked about. And here's the second thing he says. He says, the way of the kingdom of God and Jesus will be open wide to you. It's verse 11. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Now, I've thought a lot about that. I'm sure you have too. Um, what does he mean? Well, we know this. We know he doesn't mean that you buy your way into heaven by doing these things, right? You're not earning it. That's not what he's saying. He says, hey, if you do these things, hey, you've earned your way richly into the kingdom. We know that's not what he's saying. So here's what I think he's saying. And the reason I say we know we don't, why do we say we, we know he doesn't mean that? Because we have the whole context of the Bible, right? That, that, that a man shall live by faith and not by his works, that without faith, we can't please God. It all begins with us trusting God, not by what we do. So we know that to be true. We know he can't mean that. So what does he mean? I think he means what Paul said to the church at Corinth last, was it last week or two weeks ago? Remember where he said to them? He said, uh, physical exercise is of, is of value to you, but godliness is of great gain because it has, it has result not only in this life, but also in the life to come. I think what he's saying, man, if we, if Peter is saying, if we follow this, if we're growing, if we understand it, leaving no doubt about our Christian life, we're growing disciples, we're not stagnated, we're not apathetic, but we're growing in our faith. He says, man, the, the, the door will be richly open to us. I don't think he's talking about earning our way. He's talking about just maybe the reception we receive on the other side when we enter into the kingdom of God. Here's what Paul said to the church at Corinth in, the first, in his first letter. He said, no one can lay another foundation other than the one that's been laid, the foundation that's Jesus. And then in verse 12, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it'll be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work he has built that survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will exercise or experience loss, excuse me, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So, so Paul seems to say there's, there's like these two entrances into the kingdom of God. You, you, you get into the kingdom of God and you smell like smoke because your whole life was just destroyed because you didn't really, you didn't really live as that growing disciple where some people will come in and, and they'll, they'll be, have lived for Jesus. Can, can you just imagine some of the saints that we know? that have lived their lives specifically and powerfully for Jesus, the reception into the kingdom for them. I think that's what Peter's talking about. There'll be the great reception for those who have entered in. So if you're, if you're, if you're a disciple who's lived short-sightedly and blind and your joy has been diminished and your joy at the entrance into the kingdom will be greatly diminished, I really want to challenge you today, challenge me, challenge us all to change. So I'm done. I want to help us, though. I want to help us beyond just today. And so when you came in this morning, you should have received with your bullets in this piece of paper. 
If you didn't receive it, Billy's got some at the back, and just raise your hand, he'll bring you one, okay? So if you didn't get this piece of paper, I'd really like you to have it, even if you walk out the door this morning and throw it away, I'd like you to have it for now. So raise your hand if you don't have one, let Billy bring you one, okay? So what this is, is, uh, and Beverly, could you do me a favor before we end in just a few minutes and go get that box of envelopes and stick it on the back table? I forgot to do that too, that white envelope box that we have. Um, and put it on the back table before we dismiss. But um, what I've done is I've given you a piece of paper, and I'm calling the Essentials of the Christian Discipleship a framework for growing uh, and following Jesus. And what I've done is I've taken um, all six of the things that we've talked about over the last couple of months, and, um, and what I'd like you to do, all six of them are there, motivation, obedience, understanding, development, discipline, and dependence. And what I'd like you to do is take this home with you. I should have given you this last week. I apologize for that. You know how disorganized I am. It would have been a better last week for you to bring it today, but I didn't. Next week is part of our, as part of our worship. I'm going to give you an opportunity to bring this back. The envelope that's going to be on the back table is for you to grab an envelope if you don't have one. If you have an envelope, just take it on home and put it in an envelope. Bring it back next week, uh, filled out and sealed in an envelope with your address on it. Okay, your name and address. And three months from now, I'm going to mail it to you so that you can read back over what you write this week. Okay, so you'll have a degree of an accountability. It's just accountability between you and the Lord, though nobody else gets to see this but you uh, and the Lord. But what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take a few minutes. Maybe you could do this in your time with the Lord. You know, we're talking about depending on the Spirit, talking to the Spirit, and, and just asking Spirit, what do I do? How, how? So, so motivation. I, I wrote, wrote, write down your motivation for following Jesus. What is your motivation for following Jesus? And write it out there. Write, write your motivation out. So nobody's going to see it but you. I'm not reading them. I'm not opening them. And we're just going to hold them for three months, and then I'm going to mail them back to you so you can see what you wrote three months earlier. Here's my motivation. This is why I want to follow you, Jesus. This is why I, I want to be a growing disciple. Write your motivation down there. And then underneath each one of these things, I put write down a plan to help you deepen or strengthen your motivation. So in other words, don't just write down your motivation, but how can I strengthen my motivation? And let's just say, let me give you an example. So I say, for instance, your motivation is, you know, I really want to be motivated to be your disciple, to be because I want to, I want to love you or I want to remember what you've done for me, whatever it might be. And then say, you write down a specific thing to help you. Lord, for the, once a week, once a week, I'm, I'm going to get aside by my, I'm making this up on the fly. Once a week, I'm going to get aside and I'm going to just get by myself. And I'm just going to just talk to you about how much I love you and how thankful I am for you. Just so that my motivation for loving you would just increase. Whatever it be, you ask the spirit and you write down what your motivation is. And then, and then the second was obedience. And what I asked you here, if you remember in that message was, to just write down one or two areas where you're particularly failing and, and ask God to help you obey. I mean, there's so many areas, right? If we tackle them all, it's, we're not going to do anything. So find just an area that you know that, you're, that the Spirit's constantly just putting his finger on you, putting his finger on you because you're not obeying and you're listening to the old person and not the new person. And, and just put your finger on that. Write it down. Write it out loud. What you need to change. 
And then write your plan down. How am I going to become obedient? God, how, how can I work on my obedience? How can I? And maybe that, maybe that means, if you remember this, I said maybe it means confessing that sin to someone else. Maybe it means telling somebody. Maybe you need to tell somebody where you're failing. Maybe that would help. But anyway, write down your plan for obedience. Understanding. We talked about one or two things that you would do to grow in your understanding. Maybe read through a New Testament book. Maybe, I can't remember, you can go back and listen to the message. But, you know, where do I need to grow in my understanding? <clears throat> and, um, and then how am I going to try to improve in that over the next three months? Development, what area? So I really appreciate a couple of you said to me afterwards, this is an area I need to develop in. It wasn't anything I even meant, mentioned. And I was grateful for that. You're thinking, the Spirit's leading you. So write that down. But then write down your plan. How are you going to help yourself develop? Come be specific. The more specific you are, the better it's going to help you. The more, the more general you are, the harder it will be for you to measure whether you actually accomplished what the plan is. So write down a plan. Discipline. What, what spiritual discipline do you need to grow in? How are you going to change that? You know, uh, one of my spiritual disciplines that I wanted to apply was I wanted to begin to journal again. I've told you all this so many times over the years. I wanted to begin to journal again. I got my journal, but you know what? I haven't done one entry in it yet. So I'm making myself accountable. That's my plan. I, I want to journal, and I've got to come up with a plan. How, how do I start to do that again? And then finally, the dependence thing. Write down what you believe living in dependence on God looks like in your life. What, what, if you are dependent on God, what does it look like? I gave you a suggestion last week. If you like that, you're, you're welcome to run with it. But if you find another way, what does dependence for you look like on God? How do you live that life of dependence that we have to have? And then write down your plan. How am I going to become more dependent? What am I going to do to increase my dependence on the Lord? Take this home with you. Fill it out this week. And I, and I just I would just so encourage you to, to take a, a 15, 20, 30 minutes by yourself with your paper, just you and a pen, and write. Then seal it up, put it in an envelope. If you don't have one, you're welcome to one of ours off the back table. If you have one, just take this home, put it in your own envelope. Fill it out. Put your name on it. I'll even stamp it Bacon's Castle for the return address. We'll put a stamp on it, and I'm going to mail it back to you in three months. Everybody understand what I'm asking you to do? Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, your desire for us isn't just that we uh, have a name, but that we actually live like a follower, like a little Jesus. Lord, we think about how the, the first Christians were called Christians, called little Christ, little Jesuses, because they looked like you and acted like you and loved like you, I'm sure. And Lord, I just know that that's my desire for my life. I, I want people to I want people to recognize that I'm like you. I want, I want to be like you, first of all. I want it to be something visible. And Father, forgive us if, if we're in the room today or we're on the live stream and we've become complacent in our Christian life and, and, and we're not really growing and we're not really pressing into you. And God, I pray by your spirit, we're asking you to help us be dependent on you. We're asking you to change us so that we live a life empowered by Jesus. For you have given us everything we need, all the power we need, all the gifts we need, all the strength we need. You've given us everything we need to be really different, to be, be different than people around us so that they'll take note and see. Lord, not that they would praise us, but because so that the, we would be able to reflect that, that light back on you, the giver of that light. 
how I ask that for every one of my brothers and sisters, how I ask that for myself. Lord, thank you for bringing us together as a church. Thank you for making us a family. I pray that you continue to increase our love for one another, the brotherly affection and the agape love. Lord, increase that in our church, as well as all these other things that Peter said need to be ours, lest we be short-sighted and blind, fruitless and useless. Lord, may these things all be true of us individually, but also true of us as a church. I can't remember who said it, Lord, but we love you. I think it was Monk. Lord, we love you, and uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.